Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Major Reisman, you are ordered by Allied Command to select 12 general prisoners convicted by courts martial and sentenced to be executed or serve lengthy prison terms for murder, rape, robbery, and other crimes of violence. And you will deliver them secretly behind enemy lines in France to undertake a mission of sabotage that could change the course of the war. The 12 men will be known as the Dirty Dozen. Lee Marvin as Major John Reisman, Ernest Borgnine as General Warden, Robert Ryan as Colonel Everett Dasher Breed, Jimmy Brown as Napoleon Jefferson, John Casavetes as Victor Franco, Trini Lopez as Jimenez, Charles Bronson as Vladislaw, Kelly Savalas as Archer Maggot, Clint Walker as Samson Posey. Train them. Arm them. And turn them loose on the Nazi High Command. All right, how's that for a classic, man? I'm glad you could join us for the conclusion of our series, Call of Duty. I wanted to kind of end with a bang, the dirty dozen. You're probably too young to even remember. This is 1967, probably the most classic American war movie uh, ever made, The Dirty Dozen. And this was before the A-Team, okay, folks? Uh, You can still see it on TNT or the Movie Channel. But the star of the movie is Lee Marvin, who's given this top-secret mission. He's given these 12 soldiers who are serving time in prison, and he's supposed to turn these 12 men into this crack unit capable of carrying out an impossible task. They're supposed to infiltrate Nazi headquarters on the eve of D-Day, and they're kind of supposed to cripple the Nazi command with a surgical strike, and it's kind of a suicide mission to set the stage for the Allied invasion. In the movie's drama, though, it doesn't come from the guns or the explosions or anything like that. The drama comes between the 12 men, this dirty dozen. They're kind of hard scrabble guys. They have checkered pasts. Some are criminals. Others have actually been condemned to die. And so these 12 guys are a rogues gallery. Um, Telly Savalas, you know him as Kojak, Charles Bronson, Jim Brown, the Cleveland Browns running back. And the, and the question is, how could someone take 12 misfit soldiers, this dirty dozen, how do you actually take them and sculpt them and, and mold them in this crack team of leaders who turned the tide of the war? It was a question that fascinated audiences because that film finishes a number one moneymaker in 1967, about $20 million, which of course is huge at the time. And it set the stage for all the copycats, like the A-team. If you've got a job and no one else can help, maybe you can hire the A-team. And so all these stories, why are they so popular? Here's why. Because they're all about leadership. How does a skilled leader take even the most questionable prospects and turn them into a team that ultimately can change the world? And that got me thinking about how Jesus chose his dirty dozen, or the disciples, the 12 teammates he recruited and trained for his mission of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Because the reality is, that was over 2,000 years ago, and here we are today still talking about it. So this guy knew something about leadership. Jesus isn't just our Lord and Savior, he is inarguably the best leader in human history. And I've always wondered about his choosing of the 12 disciples, like how did he do that? 
How do you recruit and train 12 men to launch this global movement to change the world that drew in, you know, hundreds of thousands of men and women all over the world? Do you, do you like go to a seminary and recruit the best and the brightest or look through their resumes? How did Jesus pick his dirty dozen? Because he didn't have much to work with. We're talking about fishermen, tax collectors, working class guys without the best attitudes. This is the final message in our series, and I want to give you a look today, an inside look at the leadership style of Jesus and show you how he chose his leaders. Because you're a leader, whether you're a leader in business, maybe you have a business to run, or you're, or you have, you're a ministry, or in church, or you're a leader in the home or school, you're a leader, and, and, and to look at what Jesus did, how he cultivated and called people into leadership, what did Jesus see in them? What did he look for in his leaders? This is a leadership talk. And over the past few weeks, we've had uh, over 500 new leaders join our army of volunteers who are on mission with this church. Praise God. We've already had several hundred uh, existing leaders. So really, this is a message for over a thousand people who are going to be serving on the front lines of ministry in the days ahead. And this is the leadership talk I want all leaders at Liquid to have. Because here in the Gospel of Luke, you're going to see five things that Jesus looked for in his leader. Five tests that he used to recruit his dirty dozen to take the gospel around the world. So why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Can you do that? Take out your Bible, turn there. This gives the story of Jesus' draft, how he chose these 12 guys, and the reason why we're in this room 2,000 years later. Uh, Let's take a look here. If you just look at the first couple verses, kind of sets the scene. It says, one day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. You can see in the footnotes, that's just the Sea of Galilee. With the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, I want to show you this is historical. This is a picture of the Sea of Galilee. This is actually a contemporary photo. You can still visit there today. It's in north Israel. It's about 200 meters below sea level. So Jesus was basically preaching down here on the beach. Get this? And all the crowds are coming down from the hillsides. The hills are alive with the sound of music. He's standing there. He's kind of yelling, but more and more crowds. And he had an amazing problem. These crowds are crushing in. And the longer Jesus spoke, the more people came. I don't seem to have that problem. In New Jersey, it's the opposite. But I want you to imagine this, these crowds coming down and Jesus kind of like edging back towards the water's edge. And then verse three says, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, that's Peter. And he asked him to put out a little from the shore. And this is the first of a series of five tests that Jesus gives when he's looking for leaders. And I want to call this the bias toward action test. He presents a potential leader with a problem and he says, can you help me and be part of the solution? The bias toward action test. Jesus basically says, Peter, can I use your boat for ministry? He actually doesn't even ask him. He just gets into there, (laughs) into his boat and he says, let's go out. And he gauges Peter's response. Is Peter going to blow Jesus off? Whoa, 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 time out, time out. My boat's really not for uh, ministry use. Are you a licensed fisherman? Jesus asked him to help solve this logistical problem in getting his message out. So this is Jesus' first test in vetting a leader for his global movement. Does Peter have a bias toward action? Will he make Jesus' problem his problem? That's basically the question. Will he pitch in? Will he say, I'll help you, Jesus. It's my issue too. Because Jesus knew how much energy his cause would require. And he said, I need high capacity teammates and leaders who have a bias for action. And candidly, this is the first 
in a series of tests when looking for leaders to build a team, a ministry, a business, whatever it is, whatever mission God has called you to build. I remember when I was first starting Liquid, I looked, looked heavily for men and women with a bias towards action because it quickly outgrew Colleen and myself. Um, people came, we needed groups, people had problems, we had to handle logistics, and a lot of people liked to you know, be around activity and talk about it, where, where is, oh, look, God's moving and all that. But very few like to pitch in in very practical ways that aren't very sexy, which brings me to this. You guys all know what this is? Who knows what this is? It's not a trick question. It's a folding chair, yeah? And I remember the first time I met Mike Leahy. This is back in like 2004, 2005. Mike's our campus pastor. He's like six foot 13. And uh, he, he, at the time he wore glasses. He wouldn't look like the stud he is now. But he was wearing flip-flops at the time. So some things are still consistent. And the first time I noticed him was in the foyer of the church where we were meeting because we had begun Sunday evening worship services and people were coming and word got out and people were bringing their non-Christian friends and we were running out of room. And I remember scrambling because we had a lot of greeters shaking hands and saying, oh, isn't this fun? And there was this tall blonde guy I see in white jeans walking in the lobby and he comes walking out like this with a row of folding chairs on this arm and a row of folding chairs on that arm, probably about eight in all. It's like, I've never seen someone carry that many folding chairs. Does he work for Cirque du Soleil? But he was a big man with a big wingspan, and he just started setting out those chairs, one by one, setting out all these extra chairs while everyone else is, is you know, talking and doing all sorts of stuff. And I was like, this is very interesting. This was my first introduction to Pastor Mike. He had a bias towards action. And so when we began planning different outreaches, like one time we passed out, you know, 10,000 bottles of water at this gay pride festival to build bridges to the gay and lesbian community. Mike was the first guy I called. I was like, I don't know how we keep all this water cold. And so Mike shows up that morning with 20 garbage cans he had gotten at Home Depot full of ice cubes. And he didn't ask men to unload them. He just starts dragging these, you know, these garbage cans across the field and other guys joined in. I remember thinking, now here's a guy who loves to set up folding chairs and haul garbage cans. I think he'd make a great pastor. So I hired him. <laughs> That's true. He's now a campus pastor in New Brunswick, and he actually oversees all of our service teams, and he's an incredible pastor. Is he not? New Brunswick, you're lucky. So yeah, you can hear that for everybody. The man, Mikey. So a bias for action is one of the first things that Jesus looks for while he's vetting potential leaders. When he was drafting Peter, he said, can I use that boat? And he wanted to see, is Peter going to roll up his sleeves and help me find a solution to this logistical problem? And it's one of the best ways you can identify and recruit new leaders to build any team. Who can you ask to help you do something logistical? And then kind of gauge their response. We do this all the time with new leaders and staff at Liquid. I remember when we were considering uh, Brett, uh, who's our connections coordinator in Morristown, um, for a, a staff position. And we gave him the responsibility of, of preparing like the communion elements afterward. We said, you got to get a cross in here and all the communion stuff. And it was kind of like, we want to see Brett. Will he carry the cross across the street, you know, without getting hit? It was kind of a comical to see that. Set up all the candles. Will we have enough bread for communion? Will he fill in the refills? And one thing that impressed us about Brett is his can-do spirit. Brett is a get-her-done kind of guy. And I remember seeing him and his wife after a service, Renee, they were on the floor chipping away at some candle wax that had spilled on the floor. And I made a mental note because I was like, they don't mind rolling up their sleeves or getting down on their knees to serve in even the smallest detail because that's the way the kingdom of God advances. Jesus said to his followers, if you can be faithful with the small things in life, then my father will entrust you with even greater things in the life to come. Jesus picked Peter because he had a natural bias for action. I want you to think about the snapshots we have of Peter in the gospel. On the lake, 
Jesus is walking on the water. Who's the first one to jump out of the boat? Peter jumps out there. He's an activistic by nature. In the garden, soldiers come. He takes out a sword and he hacks off a guy's ear. That's the downside of activistic leaders. They tend to overdo it once in a while, okay? But even after that guy had his ear hacked off, Jesus healed the man, right? Probably actually gave him an upgrade. That's why I tell my staff today, I always say, just take a whack at it. It's, it's probably not great exegesis, but God uses men and women like this powerfully. So we test prospective leaders the way Jesus did. Do they have a bias for action? That's the first test. Now, the second test he then gives immediately is fascinating. What did Jesus do next? I call this the can you follow directions test. Well, the last time I heard can you follow directions was in third grade. Oh yeah? Watch how Jesus does this. This is fascinating. Look at verse four. It says, when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And this is kind of fun because there's a little tension here. You remember by, by trade, Peter is actually a fisherman and Jesus is what? What's Jesus? He's a carpenter. So Peter and the crew of the deadliest catch have been fishing all night And the carpenter comes up and says, hey, notice you didn't catch anything. I got a great idea. Why don't you go out deeper in broad daylight? (laughs) Da-da. And Peter's response is classic because I don't think you can catch the tone in here. We see, he says, master. I think that's code. We think that's with respect, master. How about this? Uh, uh, Master, master of miracles, master of healings. Uh, master communicator, basically master of a lot of stuff, just not exactly fishing. We, that would be the royal we, the professionals, have been busting our butts all night because the whole crew is there. You see what Jesus is doing. Hot on the heels of this bias for action test, he's basically saying, Peter, will you do as I say? I'm going to give you a set of directions. And without me having to explain all the reasoning and the logic behind it, I want to see Will you submit to my authority and follow my directions just because I say so? Because we've all met people who are talented, they're energetic, they're they're hot-wired, but they don't take direction well. See, that's the shadow side of being activistic in nature. People who get things done can also be stubborn. They can say, well, I only want to do it my way. Or they can be sloppy. They're trying to get it done real quick and they don't have patience for details. And in the worst case, they lack humility and think they're smarter than other people in authority over them. I remember um, that's how I, what I learned on my first job when I was teaching high school English. Um, we had one woman on our, on our English team named Filene. She was an excellent teacher, brilliant teacher, very gifted. But in staff meetings, whenever the department chair gave some new instructions, Filene, which she didn't like the way that the, the, our supervisor would respond, she would give the famous Filene eye roll. Um, this year, we're going to revise the curriculum. <laughs> yeah? Uh, this year, we're going to have the uh, juniors write their essays. <laughs> give a little snort and eye roll with it. You give the steam release. <laughs> She's a talented woman. And some of her students went to excellent colleges, but she was a miserable coworker and terrible team player. She was corrosive. Her attitude was actually very toxic. She was always the one who had the meeting after the meeting. You know what I'm talking about? Ever been in a meeting like when there's a discussion and there's a decision to be made, everyone like gives their opinions and they're in a constructive way and then like everybody agrees on the course of action. But the moment you walk out the door, they go like this. They go, okay, great, sounds good. That's not gonna fly. That'll never work. I can't believe they're making us do this. That was Filene. And you realize 
It's this attitude of pride. It's an unwillingness to submit to the authority of those over you, which the Bible actually calls sin. And say, I'm going to champion the greater good of the team. It's no coincidence to me that Peter, uh, Jesus gives Peter this can you follow directions test as soon as he learns he has a bias for action. Because he knows Peter will take action. But now he's testing Peter's attitude. What's in his heart? Is this guy teachable? Does he question authority? Does he take direction well? Or does he follow godly direction? What's, what's a credit to Peter is that he had every reason to question Jesus' instruction. I mean, Peter was the fisherman. Jesus is the carpenter. He could have said, you know, Lord, just respectfully, um, we have been at this for some time. Uh, and I'm, again, I'm thinking perhaps it'd be best maybe you stick to the wood shop and leave the fishing to the, to the pros. But he didn't. When Jesus asked, told him, go fishing in broad daylight, after a night of futility, Peter did not go, ah, okay. <laughs> Instead, look at the second part of verse 5. What did he say? Read this out loud. This is powerful. Here's what he said. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Folks, in any ministry, in any business, in any kingdom endeavor, God is looking for, but because you say so, I will kind of leaders. Write B-B-Y-S-S-I-W in your notes. Because that's an attitude of submission. Men and women who serve up, but because you say so, I will God. And this is key because it's about the leader's heart. It's not enough to find a leader who's a get or done kind of guy or gal. It's do they have an attitude that will submit in trust to the authority above them. The way you respond, guys, will determine whether the people you work with see you as a joy or a dread. (laughs) Are you a joy or a dread? If people ask you, people who work with you, people who volunteer with you, that answer has actually very little to do with your talent. It has everything to do with your attitude. I'll tell you someone who's a joy for me to work with, besides Pastor Mike and the people you see. Um, Lauren Vicari. Lauren, Lauren is the, uh, she hosts our 411. She coordinates our website. And as a former English teacher, I can be pretty, pretty like persnickety about stuff like spelling. So if the website says something like, you know, it's a great day for church, but it's spelled I-T-S, not I-T apostrophe S, I go, ah! <laughs> I get it. And I email Lauren because I value excellence. And so in the early days when I was still like proofreading the website, you know, I'd email her, can you capitalize this? Can you underscore that? And you know how she would always respond? She would respond within 20 seconds. I'd get a text back that said, done, within seconds. Uh, Lauren, a uh, podcast listener said the link is broken, Done. Uh, Lauren, can you change the menu of groups? Done. Can you update? Done. I don't know how she did that. It was like telepathic. That was a gift. And you know what? It made it a joy for me to serve with Lauren because of her get her done attitude. I don't get kickback from her. When, when, I, when I say, hey, can you update the, the groups list? It's, it's not like, well, all right, but it's going to take a while to populate, so don't expect miracles on Sunday morning. I don't get static. <laughs> and you know why? It's not because Lauren's a pushover. It's not at all. She is a gifted, smart lady but she realizes one of the biggest gifts she can bring to this church is not just her aptitude, her skill, but her attitude. She has a, because you say so, I will attitude. Jesus says to Peter, I'm going to test your attitude. Can you follow directions without understanding every detail? Lord, I want you to push out into the ocean and go fishing at a weird hour. What's Peter say? Done. Because you say so, I will. He passes the test. The question is, do you? What would your teammates say? Are you a joy or are you a dread to work with? Are you quick to respond because you choose trust or you default to suspicion, the famous Philene Iral? <laughs> Guys, we get to choose. We get to choose what kind of culture we want to create in this church. 
And I want it to be a joy to serve and lead here. I love it. I want you to love it, okay? And attitude is key, as Jesus says. You know what, you know what happens next? Test number three. Test number three, I love this because I call this the who deserves the credit test. Do you guys know actually what happened in the story? If you're at all familiar with the story of, of the miraculous catch of fish, Peter and the boys actually push out into the water. They let down their nets as Jesus instructed. And what happens? Look at verse six. Just read it with me. It says, when they had done so, let me get this because it says, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So there's so many fish that the boats actually began to sink. And I'm just imagining Jesus standing there going like, just saying, you know. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said what? Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Simon's partners. In front of all of his friends, he's shown up. And what does Peter do? He falls on his knees and he gives Jesus the credit for everything. He suddenly realizes, I'm in the presence of one who's not a fisherman. This is the one who created the fish and created the man. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. This is all about you. The point is, guys, is that Peter expressed with great clarity who was responsible for this miracle. And it wasn't him. And that, honestly, that should be a priority in everything that we do here at Liquid. Whether, whether you're building, again, a local church, our volunteers, our leaders have to be absolutely clear about who gets the credit at all times. Everything we do is for the glory of God. This is Jesus's church, guys. This is not Tim's church, not Mike's church, not Tom's church. It's Jesus's church. And any success that we have is supposed to maximize his glory, not ours. Does that make sense to you? That's very counterculture because we live in a kind of a credit hogging, you know, look at me kind of culture where we, everyone hot dogs. I hate that about sports. You ever notice that? Guy scores a touchdown, you know. The lack of modesty, that narcissism in, in, in sports makes you want to puke. In church, I think it makes God want to puke. When God shows up in a miraculous way, it's the height of foolishness to give credit to anybody else but him alone. You guys know we had a pretty special run this past spring on Palm Sunday in Montclair when we had over 2,400, whatever it is, the people, all those people packed in that building. It's like, we look at each other, we're like, God's moving. Lives are changing. Over 70 people literally gave their life to Christ for the first time. It was a miraculous catch. Our nets started breaking. It literally began sinking. We, can, we overflowed the overflow. I'm still not sure what happened. Only one thing I know, we had nothing to do with it. See, that's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit's power. That's an anointed moment of God. I had nothing to do with it because God actually told me earlier in prayer that morning, he said, Tim, today, it's not with wise or persuasive words, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power that people are going to be touched. You need to know this if you're new. I'm just a tool, like Peter. <laughs> tool, I don't mean like tool, I mean like he's a tool. <laughs> tool time, Tim. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. You guys know that better than anybody. But somehow, for some reason, God chooses to use my limitations and grant me the privilege of proclaiming the gospel each week. He gave me a gift. He gave Dan a gift. He gave Terry a gift. He gave Jeff a gift. He gave Lauren a gift. And we get to use our gifts. But if anything happens, all the credit goes to who? Jesus. 
It goes to Christ. He gets it. It's all, on per- it's all because of him. And so the challenge for any new leaders are watch to see verbally after they have a success if they give credit to God, to their teammates, not just publicly, but privately. I mean sincerely. Are they honest about their shortcomings? Peter was. Peter was honest about it, yeah? Do they own their mistakes? Do you own your mistakes or do you blame others when, when things don't go? Or deflect? Hey, the uh, message notes are missing. Well, I don't know. Dave touched the bulletins last. I... <laughs> That's a great leadership filter, man, by the way, to run new leaders through or in, in your business or wherever it is that you're a leader. Whenever there's success, who gets the credit? Whenever there's a failure, who gets the blame? When a mistake gets made, do you own it? You know what? I dropped the ball, period. No excuses, man. Here's what I'm going to do differently next time. Or do you shift the blame, get defensive, list all the factors that didn't happen rather than actually owning it. Good leaders in the kingdom of God, they deflect the credit to Christ but they receive critique and humility because they're teachable. Peter made no pre- pretense about who brought the fish in. Jesus, he's like, Jesus gets all the credit. I'm a sinful man. For some reason, he picked me and Jimmy and Johnny to go fishing with him. You see the brilliance of Jesus here? What he was looking for in his leaders as he handpicked his dirty dozen to change the world? What Jesus does next is the key to the series of tests. It's the fourth test, and it is the biggest one. It's called the grander vision test. I love this. This is the, the verse that's most famous. You see it, you know, on t-shirts and stuff like that. But don't let the glaze of familiarity help miss this. I want you to imagine now. These guys, they're back on shore. They got two boatloads of fish. People are astonished. They're, they got their cameras out. They're taking pictures. Man, look at that thing. They're updating their status. Dude, yeah, it's, it's a ton of fish, man. The crowds are pressing in to see this miraculous catch. And Jesus is like, good times right? Is that fun? You like? Yeah, (laughs) right? You like catching sunfish? And then he sets the hook. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch who? Men. In other words, he says, I want you to think a grander thought. And he begins moving Peter's mind from success to significance. He says, I see you're a solid leader. You have a bias for action. You follow directions well. You give credit to God. But I wonder... Is there something more for you in life than just catching fish for cash? What about catching men and women for Christ? Jesus raises the stakes, and this is brilliant. Jesus is the best leader in human history, and he's saying, when you come upon a high-capacity volunteer, someone who's shown both the aptitude and attitude for ministry, but their current employment is a higher priority. He's like, sometimes you just got to cast a grander vision for their life and raise the stakes and say, do you want to spend the rest of your life just being a commercial success or do you want to have eternal significance, actually build the kingdom of God on earth and help people secure their eternity in heaven forever? Think a bigger thought. See, see when people discover they have a talent, and maybe you've recently discovered you have one, you're out in the working world, the first thing they do is figure out, how do I make money from this? There's actually nothing wrong with that. But Jesus says, what if you took the fruit of your success, the, you know, the stuff you know, that you buy and rots and ends up going in the ground, and actually moved it from success to significance, the eternal destiny of men and women and children? What if actually you valued people's destinies over dollars? Whoa, what are you talking about? Not many people make that choice, but this church has several. In fact, one of them is in this room today. 
Janet Salter Hemmer is a successful business person. She's actually a senior marketing executive for a Fortune 500 company. And uh, when she first came to Liquid, she was not sure where she fit as a volunteer. And, uh, but as she began hearing about the grander vision of our church, she decided to invest her gifts in a profound way. My first year at Liquid, I did absolutely nothing. I didn't feel like volunteering. I wanted to just come, sit in the front row, absorb the service. I didn't want to serve in any way, shape, or form. I first dipped my toe in the water of serving by joining the greeting team. I thought, oh, how hard could it be to write some name tags and say hello? And I found it a great way to get to know people because at a big church, it's hard to get to know um, more than one or two people. After getting comfortable with the greeting team and then moving on to Liquid Kids, I wanted to get more involved and started to serve with some of the bigger events. And I helped carry balloons and handed out balloons at the free market. Then I got involved in the first 5K run that we did. Then this past year, I also did the Operation Christmas Angel. And that was a huge job, but I really felt like my participation made a big difference in the project. We were watching one of the videos that Tim was showing when he got back from Africa. And as I sat there and saw this little girl with that filthy, dirty water in her hand, and Tim is talking about how she walked, would drink the water and throw up, I was, it just hit me. And I reached over and said to my husband, I am going on a mission trip. So I signed up to go on a mission trip to El Salvador. It was not what I expected at all. Uh, we worked very hard during the day, but at night we made a real connection with the people. I know that tap water, turning on the water, is something I should be grateful for, but until I was in a country where I couldn't do that, I didn't really understand the gift God has given us in clean water. And I think the moment that the little girls were standing there pumping the water and holding their hands and drinking right from the well was the biggest impact of the trip. For the past 10 years, I've done marketing for Prudential. We have an offshore programming and call center in Letterkenny, Ireland, and we move work from the U.S. over to Ireland. When I saw those kids in the water, washing their hands, washing themselves, washing their clothes, and just downstream were a herd of cows doing their business in the water. I knew that I had to do something more than just one trip to El Salvador. So when I came home after doing the El Salvador trip, I talked to Rich and said, how can I take the skills that I have and use this to help liquid water? So we decided that I would take a part-time role with liquid water and the goal would be for me to help organize five trips over the coming year, as well as to go out and do outreach with colleges, with runs, with various different organizations who might want to get out the word about bringing clean water to the world. So what I've come to realize is I have to make a decision. I need to leave my corporate world behind and become more involved and more dedicated to the mission of bringing clean water to the world. This is really where God is calling me. And you know what? I do not regret making this decision. 
because I know that this is what God wants me to do. And it isn't about making the money or the big corporate career. It's about making a difference in someone's life by doing something simple, like bringing clean water to them. Can we thank Janet for her leadership? Janet, we thank God for you. We thank God for you, sister. We really do. I mean, this is kind of incredible because you've kind of shifted. You still work in the corporate world, and you've given yourself to organizing clean water trips throughout the world. How did that happen? Well, I really enjoy my job in the corporate world and have gained a lot of experience over the past 30 years. But I wanted to take the skills that God had given me and use them for something I was really passionate about and to be able to make a difference in the world. Yeah. Now, we have five trips actually happening this year. They are, tell me where they are, when they are, tell us about it. We're going to two different countries this year. First, El Salvador, which is where I went on my trip last year. We're going to be going in August as well as in February of 2012. Then we're also going to be going to Haiti. We have three trips planned in Haiti. One, and we'll be going to Cap Haitian. Uh, we're going to, in October and again in November, and then in 2012, we'll be going in March. And these are actually well-building trips. You were actually out in the field laying pipe the whole thing, yeah? We were digging, laying the pipes, uh, dragging the dirt around, muddy, uh, getting dirty. We were out there. Do you have to be an expert or, I mean, because when you hear that, you think like this is construction work or anything. You have to be trained. What, what are you looking for in a leader to go on this trip? Well, thank goodness, no, you don't have to know anything about construction. You just have to be willing to serve and to have a heart to serve and to be willing to say, yep, I'll do that. That's no problem. Uh, We'll train you on everything you need to know. We'll help you with the uh, team building, the fundraising, all of that we do together as a team. And we'll give you all the tools you need to be successful. Awesome. It's incredible to see these faces of people's lives literally transformed, entire villages transformed after a week of service to the least of these. And we thank God for you organizing it, Janet. You'll be available to talk to people after the service? Yes, I will. I'll be out back. Awesome. And people can sign up at liquidchurch.com online. Correct. Awesome. Can you guys thank Janet for her leadership? Thank you, Janet. Grateful for you. Thank you for that. Thank you. Awesome. We actually, I don't don't want to make you feel awkward, but we actually have a dirty picture uh, of of Janet here. We can throw that up there. (laughs) I love how God called her to ministry. He said, I want to move you from success to significance. Janet is extremely successful in the corporate world, and yet her passion is bringing clean water to the world's poorest in Jesus' name. That's significance. The question Jesus asked is, what would you rather your life be about? Just earthly success or eternal significance? Dollars or destinies? See, it's, it's a privilege to serve in Jesus' church. It's not, you don't plead with people, it's a privilege. Because everything has life and death consequences. I mean, how often can you say that? The stakes could not be higher. I want you to think about this because we took church to people in Montclair. Literally dozens and dozens of people are going to spend eternity in heaven forever with Jesus Christ. Because we invest in in, in serving clean water to the poorest of the poor in places like Haiti that are ravaged by the earthquake, hundreds of children get clean water to drink. That's literal salvation. That's the saving of their lives. That's priceless. Nobody gets into ministry for the money, okay? We will never get rich doing what we do, but I don't care because I can't imagine a richer calling, a more fulfilling, satisfying. I can't believe sometimes I get to do this for a living kind of way to, to, to spend my energy and the time I have on this earth. 
I have a lifelong calling on my life to communicate the gospel in word and deed. I'm a fisher of men. Janet, a fisher of men. My guess is there are more men and women in this room who are fisher of men. God's calling you to the grander vision of giving your life to serve his church and advance the gospel. It is about helping. uh, It's not just helping a, a service happen on Sunday. It's serving the world with the talents that God has given you. So maybe this year, you're going to step up your time commitment. Maybe you're going to go on a clean water trip, okay? Go to our website, find out more about it, even if you just feel a little bit of that tugging because it may mean you may have to, I don't know, have to cut back on your work or sacrifice some comfort to go do it, but I can tell you there is nothing more rewarding than fishing for men and women and boys and girls around the world. It's the grander vision of God and why we do what we do right here at Liquid. The question Jesus says is, are you willing to sacrifice everything for it? That's the final question. It's the fifth test he gives in verse 11. It says, so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. And this, guys, I want to call this the will you leave it test. It's actually what Bill Hybels calls it. I'm indebted to him for this message, but this is the biggest test of them all. The will you leave it behind message. It's funny because I went, imagine Peter was shaking when he dropped the nets and walked with Jesus. Actually, Jimmy did it too, James, and his brother Johnny, John. He got James and John. It's funny, isn't it? That's a secret, by the way, when you're looking for leaders because high-capacity leaders swim in schools. If you reel one in, you get a whole group, and this was a special group because Jesus, after he cast the grander vision to them, they pulled up their boats, and they left the only livelihood they'd ever known They cashed in their commercial fishing business to follow this little-known rabbi from a podunk town called Nazareth. That's that's, that's serious guts, man. And you know what? If we're going to find leaders big enough to fulfill our God-given mission of taking, literally building the kingdom of God in New Jersey, we still got to find more and more souls who are willing to cash in their chips, maybe even change professions, and leave everything and follow Jesus into ministry. This is literally, guys, how Jesus started his church. This is how ours is going to grow forward over the next five to 10 years and ripple out beyond Morristown, beyond New Brunswick. Let me ask you, is it possible you are maybe one of those leaders who's willing to leave it all behind and give your life to Jesus's vision? Because those kind of leaders are rare, but thank God we actually have them at Liquid. The rooms at all of our campuses are, are, are full of a number of people who are actually leaving this campus this summer as we launch our new campus in Montclair. We've been asking God to raise up between 100 and 200 people who will be part of that core launch team that takes the gospel to Essex County. And we already have people who've heard that call and said, you know what, I'm willing to leave everything, the comfort of my campus. I sit in the third row on the left-hand side, the fourth chair, and I'm getting up and I'm following Jesus to Essex County. I think of James and Kelly Gardner. They're actually from Morristown. They are a fixture. They're an incredible couple. They lead a life group. They lead FPU. But they live in Caldwell, and they said, we're going to go to Montclair and help launch groups and classes and get those started there. Bobby and Steph Parati, he's a large group teacher at Liquid Kids. Steph has a passion for small groups with our children. And they're going from New Brunswick to be part of the core team that launches a children's ministry in Montclair. Chris Baratella is even better. I love him. He's like the mercenary for Christ. He was originally in Morristown, and he left Morristown to go help launch New Brunswick. Now he's leaving New Brunswick to go help launch Montclair. He's an, he has an apostolic gift. He is the man with the strongest handshake. And he says, Tim, we've got to welcome these people. It's a new community. We've got to give them the big Baratella bear hug and flash that smile and everything. And in every way, guys, 
when I look at these guys, every single person in our church who's making the decision to leave their current campus, man, we got to celebrate those people because that's evidence that God's spirit has authority in their heart because they're giving up their comfort because they believe in the grander vision. They want to be pioneers. They're going to be trailblazers who bring the gospel to a new city, and that's to be celebrated. So in the weeks ahead, guys, I just want to prepare you for this. If you meet someone at this church who's going to leave their campus to go help a new campus, don't say, oh, too bad, we're going to miss you. Say, thank God for you. (laughs) You are awesome. That junks is to be celebrated because they're faithful. They're being responsive. Better yet, join them, okay? See, for every leader going, guess what? There's a spot for new leaders here at this campus. My question is, who's going to be the next Gardner family in Morristown? Who's going to be the next Chris Baratella in New Brunswick on the greeting team? It's fine if you stay, but will you step up? Maybe you're one of those persons who's kind of sitting on the fence. You're intrigued by the idea of launching something new, but maybe you're scared about what you have to give up, what's familiar. You know what? Join the club. That's the disciples. What did Peter think? What did Jimmy and John, I bet they were scared out of their minds, drop the nets, leave the dock. Will they still be there when we come back? This doesn't work out. But they went anyway. What's it say? So they pulled up their boats on shore and left everything. And they followed him. Sometimes you got to drop the nets, guys. That's all I'm saying. Don't follow me. If Jesus is calling you, follow him. It is the best decision you will ever make. There is not a safer place than to follow Christ at the center of the Lord's will. If that's you, maybe you're interested in being part of that pioneer group who's launching our new campus this uh, August and September in Montclair. You've come at a perfect time because we're hosting house parties in June in and around Montclair. And if you're interested, maybe you even know someone, Essex, Bergen, or Persake uh, who want to come to the party, bring them. At these parties, you're going to meet our campus leadership and learn how you can get involved, how we can use your talents and be part of our core community there. And we're hosting those seven house parties, and you just have to choose one to attend. What we did is, in your program today, can you take this out? We put a little postcard in there with all the dates, the information, and you just need to RSVP to liquidchurch.com backslash Montclair. And this is funny to say this, but I hope some of you will get out of here. (laughs) Leave this campus behind and set out into the deeper waters of launching a brand new one this summer. Anytime we go to a new city, guys, we need our A-team on the front lines of ministry. And you will be serving with our own version of the dirty dozen who quite honestly are kicking tail and taking names. (laughs) When Jesus saw Peter washing his nets, I love that. That's how this movement started. You're in this room today because of this story right here. Jesus walked up and said, "Uh, so you like fishing for perch? How about men? How about souls? And Jesus picked one, two, three for his dirty dozen. We need more than that. But if you're one of them, follow their example. Learn from his leaders. They have a bias for action. They see the grander vision. And they're willing to leave it behind. I hope some of you will leave it behind this year. Candidly, this is the kind of church we want to be. That we follow Jesus out into deeper, deeper water. I hope you'll join us. Maybe your next step today is signing up to go on a clean water trip. That would be awesome on the other side of the world. Or deciding to bring the gospel to another side of the street here in New Jersey. Maybe you'll have to leave some things behind. But we know God rewards that kind of faith. I am so grateful to each of you leaders at Liquid for your courage, for your heart, for your sacrifice. And I am proud to be one of the dirty dozen who, as we serve together, 
we make Jesus big in the eyes. They get to see and magnify Christ, and they see him more clearly than ever. Can we hear it for all of our leaders at each of our campuses today? We thank God for you. We're following your lead as you follow Christ. Let's pray together. Bow our heads, all our campuses. Father, we're grateful, um, Jesus, that you didn't magically drop out of the sky and complete the gospel mission all by yourself. You called teammates. You recruited leaders. And, and, and Father, thank you for dropping the scales even from our eyes to see that you were very systematic about it. You were looking into the heart of these men. We thank you for Peter, Lord, his boldness, his action. I thank you for the boldness and courage you've given women like Janet who lead incredible ways in this church. Lord, we thank you for their effectiveness for the gospel. I pray that you'll anoint them, fill them with your Holy Spirit, Lord, the existing leaders. Would you bless, Lord, the gardeners, the parades, the baratellas, God? Would you just kind of fill them with an extra measure of your faith and courage as they set out to cross the Jordan and claim a new territory in the name of Christ? Father, everything that we do, we just, again, return it right now in this moment, Lord. We return it back to you. Forgive us, Lord, where our efforts have been in vain or they've been proud. We just humbly, Lord, we just ask that it would go, the glory would go to Jesus. And people would just see we're sinful and perfect people. But we have an incredibly powerful, loving, and compassionate God of grace. We thank you for salvation. We've received it, and now we gladly give it freely. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.